The message of the cross is the gospel. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, gives us a good definition of the gospel. For Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried on the third day. says the gospel is the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. The reason for the cross is that we're sinners in need of a Savior. The message of the cross is that Christ died for our sins. Now, stop and think about it. Why would the King of Heaven leave His glory and come down to earth and die on an old rugged cross? Because we're sinners in need of a Savior. Because it was God's eternal plan. God's plan for us is that we be predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. God's plan was that you and I be like Jesus. And we're not on our own. In fact, Paul wrote in Romans 7 about our dilemma. Uh, he says, you know, the good I don't want to do, that's what I do. Why can't we be good just because we want to? Why can't we get up in the morning because we have a sinful heart? We're sinners. We were born with a sin nature. Something we got from our fathers all the way back to Adam. And because of our sin, because of our, our sin nature and the, and the, the choices to sin, Jesus died a sacrificial death on the cross for us. One author put it, He became what we were that we might become what He is. Our text this morning is one verse, Romans 3.23. One author said that Romans 3.23 is a summary of Romans 1 through 3.22. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Say that with me. If you've learned that, that's the first part of the Roman road of salvation. So you say, well, I may not be able to lead you to Christ, but I can tell you this much. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says, for all, because all are sinners and all are in need of a Savior. That word all, you know what it means? All. It's the Greek word pan. And it means the totality of the whole. All or everyone. It's one of those English, uh, Greek words that we use in English occasionally. How many of you have ever heard of the Olympic-style games of all the Americas? How many of you have ever heard of Peter Pan? At least you've had the Peter Pan peanut butter, right? Peter Pan, the word pan from, peanut, uh, from Peter Pan means he, he represents all boys um, who have an imagination, who don't want to grow up, who are in their nonsense. It means everyone, you and me and your family and your neighbors, the people you work with or go to school with, the people that you pass in the street, all, no one is excluded. All have what? All have sinned. All have sinned. That word sin, one definition of it means to miss the mark. How many of y'all can see that bullseye over there? I wish that I had had my bow and arrow from when I was younger. You know, it was one of those little wooden bowls that had the air, wooden arrows with the, with the cup on the end of it, and you lick the cup and it stick to the wall. I used to have one. My suspicion is my mother took it away from me because I did that too often. But sin is not aiming at that bullseye and pulling the arrow and hitting over near the door or down below somewhere. Sin means I pull the bow and I point this direction. We not only miss the mark of the bullseye, we're not even shooting at the right thing. Is disobeying God. Paul wrote in, in 
Romans 1.18, all are under sin. He said, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And Paul says, man has no excuse for living in sin because if you just look around, you can see the beauty of God's creation. But rather than worship the Creator, Paul says, people worship God's creation. And then Paul writes in verse 28, you might want to turn to this. We're already in Romans 3, just a couple of pages over. Uh, Romans 1.28, how to acknowledge God. God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with unrighteousness. That's talking about man without Christ. Evil, greed, and wickedness. Does that sound like the newspaper today? Murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, but it's there. Senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they did not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Does that sound like the world we live in today? Because of man's sin, the Bible says we deserve God's judgment. Theopedia describes sin as any lack of conformity to the moral law of God. And so, turn back over to Romans 3. Paul says, this is what we're like. And Paul quotes from from Psalm 53 and from from Psalm 9 and, and Psalm 14 and 10. In Isaiah 59 and 36, in this passage beginning with verse 9, verse 10 actually, Paul says, as it's written, there's none righteous. No, there's no one who seeks God. All have turned away and all alike have become worthless. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed innocent blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in the sins. There's nobody righteous. Um, the word, some people defer, de, define the word righteous by what they shun. You know, uh, I heard when I was younger, uh, I don't smoke or, smoke or drink or chew or run around with folks who do. That doesn't make you righteous, okay? That may make you a good moral person. That may make you more acceptable to your peers, but it's not what righteousness is. Uh, A biblical definition of righteousness is one who is such as he ought to be. How many people are who, how many people are there who, who they ought to be? Only one, Jesus. In fact, righteousness is a divine standard, and we don't measure up to the mark. You know what the divine standard is? Anybody know Mark 5, excuse me, Matthew 5.48? Be perfect. Yeah. We don't measure up. There's no one righteousness. Excuse me, righteous. We have no righteousness because we're sinners. Uh, then he says there's no one who understands. Psalm 53.2 says, God looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there was anyone who understands. And he found no one. We can't understand God apart from the Holy Spirit. No wonder people pick up the Bible and say, hmm, I don't understand this. 
because it takes the Spirit of God to help us to understand it. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But a natural man, that's anyone without Christ, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He can understand them because they're spiritually appraised. You see, we can't even understand what God's trying to teach us apart from His Spirit. Well, there's no one who does, no one who seeks God. That word seek means to seek and search out. It means a determined search. And the psalmist says there's nobody that's doing that. Because God says, you know, if you seek, came to for me with all your heart, you'll find me. But Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. We can't find God, but He can find us. Praise the Lord. Amen? And then He says, all have turned away. They've become useless or corrupt. There's no one who does what's good. Not even one. We've turned away. In Isaiah 53, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. That means we've all turned away from God. But the Lord has laid upon Him the sin of us all. That's both the reason for Christ going to the cross. We've turned away, we've sinned. And it's the so look around and we say, well, there's some philanthropists. They do some good things, yeah? But according to divine standards, it's not enough. We can't do good because we're sinners. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. One commentator said it this way, what fearful folly for man to imagine that by being baptized and joining the church, they're ready to go to heaven and be in the holy company on high with the meek and lowly Son of God and the holy angels. And all this without thought of being forgiven, washed, or born again. All have sinned where no one is righteous. And our unrighteousness affects everything we do. I found this... Uh, I was doing research on the internet and I found this and I thought this was interesting. It highlights the difference between God's standards and man's. Man calls sin an accident. God calls it an abomination. Man calls sin a blunder. God calls it blindness. Man calls sin a chance. God calls it a choice. Man calls sin a defect. God calls it a disease. Man calls sin an error. God calls it enmity. Man calls sin fascination. God calls it fatality. Man calls sin infirm. Man calls sin luxury. God calls it lawlessness. Man calls sin a trifle. God calls it a tragedy. Man calls sin a mistake. God calls it madness. Man calls sin a weakness. God calls it willfulness. There's only one remedy of sin because all of sin. There's, as I was doing research, one of the things that I do is I study the words um, and I look at the tenses of the words. This word for sin, all of sin, is in a tense that means it happened in the past one time. And I think it points to the fact that, that we're all sinners because of the sin. And because of it, Adam was separated from God and all his offspring are are infected with this rebellion against God with a sin nature. But we're also sinners by choice. We can't just say, well, it was Adam because we all sin by choice every day. As sinners, we fall short of God's glory. What's God's, what's glory? What, excuse me. What is God's glory? What does it mean to fall short of it? Well, the, 
definition of glory means the brightness or splendor, great power and strength or majesty and honor. Uh, the Greek Greek word is, you know, when we sing praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's the doxology. We're praising God. The word glory means the fullness of who God, who God is. And Paul said, we don't have for glory means brilliance and splendor. So when we say man has fallen, it means we've fallen short of the brilliance and splendor of God's glory. Now, I thought this was interesting. This is in Donald Gray Barnhouse's commentary on Romans. He said he believes that when Adam and Eve were still in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, they were clothed with light, with the splendor and brightness of realized the light of God, and they were naked. They sinned, they realized the light was gone, and they were naked. Nakedness was the absence of the brilliance and splendor of God. No wonder they hid from the Lord. No wonder they tried to cover them and God stuck with them. But it, that could, even that couldn't hide the fact that they were no longer covered by God's glory. Now that makes a lot of sense when you think about other Scriptures. When Jesus was transfigured, what does the Scripture say about Him? It said that His face and His clothing shone. Uh, Matthew 17 says, His face shone like the sun and His garments became as white as light. That was the, the light of the brilliance and splendor of God's glory. Now why don't we see that all the time? Well, Paul says in, in Philippians that Christ emptied Himself of His glory. He didn't stop being God. But you couldn't look upon Him and see that, that glory of God upon Him. He left that behind that He might be a servant and go to the cross and pay for our sins. But then, Scripture says, in the resurrection, we shall receive glorified bodies. We'll be changed. And I wonder if that, that's not, not what Paul's talking about. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, I, I, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. We don't have God's glory now, but Adam did when he was first created in God's image. Passage says, Sin and false me. The glory of God means that we are destitute of the glory of God because we no longer have that. Because of the sin nature we have of Adam, we no longer have the glory of God. God's plan was that we be like Jesus and then we reflect His glory without crossing hands. On the cross, He bought our salvation. He paid the price that we might be changed, that we might become like Jesus. There's an old hymn, and I say it's an old hymn because it's 60 years old, almost as old as I am. It was written by newlyweds Bill and Gloria Gaither just shortly after their wedding. It's called, He Touched Me. Shackled by heavy burden, beneath a load of guilt and shame, no longer the same. Since I met this blessed Savior, since He cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise Him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. He touched me. Oh, He touched me. And now I know He touched me and He made me whole. The reason for the cross is that we're sinners. And we don't have the glory of God. We fall way short of it. But when Jesus comes into our lives, because He went to the cross and He paid for our sins on the cross, and He comes into our lives, He changes us and He makes us new and gives us hope. And then we can spend eternity in heaven and 
Paul said the reason for the cross is that all are sinners. You don't have to stay that way. If you don't know Jesus, you can be saved today. Trust Him as your Lord and Savior. But if you're saved, now a good time to just praise God. That I once was lost, but now I found was born. Shame now has made me new. Oh, what a way to praise God. Oh, what reason we have to honor Him and glorify Him. Let's pray. Father, Your Word says that Jesus went to the cross because we're all sinners. Your Word says that we, You went to the cross because we were in need of a Savior.